Hello, clinicians, and hello, my peers and friends. We are back for another episode of the Becoming Healers podcast. I'm so excited to be joining you yet again to present you with the opportunities to hold on to different narratives. Over the past four episodes, we have met with clinicians who have chosen to do things differently by the way they show up to the healthcare system we face on a day-to-day. And I truly hope that this podcast is becoming a source of inspiration for you and not pressure about what it looks like to add value, but more encouragement to show you that it's possible and it can be done by you. For those of you who are joining me for the very first time, I am Narato Khatle. I am the founder of Yang Indi as well as the host of the Becoming Healers podcast. And this is a platform that we designed for healers who are on a journey of evolving. The podcast is called Becoming Healers because that's exactly what we believe needs to start happening with this generation of clinicians at large. That we need to become the generation that is both clinically sound, operationally excellent, and that has the power to make a difference at the bedside and beyond. And that is our focus. We present this podcast to you by engaging with clinicians who've chosen to do exactly that. People who have shown up in the space in a way that's empowering for them and empowering for the peers or the system or the patients that they engage on a day-to-day basis. And this episode will be no different. But first up, the new tradition that we've introduced, which is taking a moment to appreciate and celebrate each other. More than just engaging in dialogue with people who've moved their minds to be able to show up in a space that is challenging and difficult and encourage peers to do the same, we also believe in defining cultures of appreciation, something that can make it very difficult for us to serve in the healthcare sector when we don't hear well done or we don't hear thank you. And it's my personal opinion that you don't hear it enough. If I could, I'd tell each and every one of you every single day just how well you're doing because it is true. And so, true to the tradition of the podcast, I have a voice note that I received that I'd like to share with you. Here it goes. Good morning, Yang MD. This is Dr. Langwati from Leratong Hospital. Today, I would like to appreciate Dr. Lerato Katle, the host of Yang MD Podcasts. Where do I even begin? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for showing us that we can arise and shine um, in the midst of such a challenging and a difficult season as clinicians. You have opened us up to a world of endless possibilities and we too can make a change in the spaces that we occupy. And the prayers that you say at the end of every show, they give me life. You know, you inspire us to know that something great lies within each and every one of us clinicians and we owe it to our generation to manifest it. Thank you. We love you dearly and continue the amazing work that you do. Cheers. Dr. Sangoti, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is all I can say. Thank you so, so, so much. To any of you who would like to send a message of thanks and encouragement and appreciation to your peers and to your colleagues, all you need to do is send a voice note or a text to the number 066-246-3302 and I'll be sure to include it in the next episode. That's how simple it is and I encourage you all to do that. Share how you feel about what it feels for you to engage with peers who make a difference for you whether it's a team whether it's an individual and then let them listen to the podcast and let them hear you say it it's so important for us to experience affirmation especially as clinicians in the south african healthcare system i don't think we hear it enough and that's why this slot exists so i hope you guys will take up the challenge thank you again dr sangoti for your contribution now i get to kick off and introduce you to the next guest for the podcast. I'm so, so moved each week when I get the opportunity to meet these people and I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest for the Becoming Healers podcast. Our next guest is Dr. Adil Khan. He's a medical doctor working as an advisor in the insurance industry. He has both clinical and research experience. He's a candidate for the Master of Public Health at UCT, 
where he is able to marry his interests for health systems improvement, health technology, and social justice. In 2020, he released his debut investigative documentary called Behind the Frontline about the toxicities of working in the health system in South Africa. He collected qualitative data from over 60 healthcare workers and themes of bullying, discrimination, tough working conditions, and mental health challenges arose. He persuaded a select few to share their stories on camera and crafted a narrative around their experiences. He drew the link in the form between a dysfunctional health workplace and dysfunctional health service delivery. He has interests in the relationship between social justice, health, and filmmaking. He hopes to start many dialogues of public health concern using film as a medium to attract the general public. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Dr. Adil Khan. Hello, Dr. Adil Khan. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Could you please just share with the audience a little bit about who you are and the work that you've done with Behind the Frontline? Good afternoon. It's my absolute pleasure to be with you. My name is Adil Khan. I'm a medical doctor. I have uh, clinical experience as well as research experience. I'm currently working as a medical advisor uh, in the insurance sector, but my real passion lies with public health. My long-term aspirations are to be a, a public health activist. Last year really kicked off my foray into public health activism, and it stemmed from my own personal experience as a junior doctor and wanting to to articulate a narrative that if you are in the profession, it's quite apparent, but might not be to to everyone else. And uh, we'll no doubt unpack the documentary, but what the documentary was uh, at at its core was was giving voice to the voiceless, Mm -hmm. as well as framing the problem in such a way that uh, it's shown to not only affect individual healthcare workers, but overall the, the entire healthcare system. So that's a bit about me, where I'd like to be headed, um, is in public health act- activism, in identifying softer issues that are often overlooked in the health system, but often mm. have strong links to the key deliverables in terms of health service delivery, uh, especially in a low and middle income country like ours. Thank you so much for that excellent introduction. I think what was powerful that you shared on and the synergy that exists with this particular podcast is the idea that that was really trying to drive a narrative that is almost silent, especially to people who are unaware about the experiences that healthcare workers face. And no doubt the COVID-19 pandemic definitely, you know, put a spotlight on the work that you were doing, but also the realities that these clinicians are facing. How were you able to use that tool to drive or at least start the transformation conversation? Because I think that's probably where we are. So, I mean, the problem is not new. Um, right. It's been well described in literature for a number of years. And even preceding that, it was probably pervasive throughout medical history, medical culture. It's, it's almost part of the furniture of, of being mm-hmm. a healthcare worker that we have these toxicities that we reference in the film, that are seen to be part and parcel of the profession. The take that I decided to, to take on this is that we need a, we need a new narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to shift the focus away from us and them scenario. And we need to have a mature dialogue about what are the real systemic issues and where we can intervene on a much more structured level. And the approach that I chose was the medium of film. But I mean, one could have taken traditional methods of data gathering and, right. and publication. And not that that does not have a place, but primarily my focus was on, on the general public who mm. may not have access to this kind of information irrespective. And the, the focus, therefore, of the documentary is, yes, it's, it's for healthcare workers themselves, but as I mentioned, it is for the general public. So, so foam is, is, is such a, a powerful tool to bring to life real-life stories. It's, mm-hmm. it's essentially storytelling. And mm-hmm. storytelling as, as, an, as an amazing power to bring about change mm-hmm. um, or to at least spark conversations about change, which is ultimately the main goal. And... And it's interesting, the link between film 
and especially public health issues, but you know, health issues in general. Correct. And it is something that I wish to explore further in my, in my career. That's so powerful. I think you, you said a lot of things that triggered a lot of thoughts in my mind. This idea of giving a voice to the voiceless through the medium of film. Um, and I think what that does is raise an awareness Yes, to the general public, but also to us as a community. We are very used to fitting in like we are furniture because that almost feels safer. How did you encourage some of the clinicians who may have, have had powerful stories to share to come on board and, and start to unpack their experiences in this way? With great difficulty. Uh, is the, is the <laughs> I can only answer. imagine. <laughs> So, so just a little bit of background before we, we actually filmed, we, we did a, a qualitative um, data gathering exercise mm-hmm. where I put the call out informally on social media and in, and in the channels of people that I knew to, to share the anecdotes with me um, mm-hmm. anonymously, but with still enough information um, to share the, the gist of, of what the issues were. Mm-hmm. And that lasted for about a period of four to five months in in 2018 now yeah 2018 and i collected well over 60 stories from sure. from healthcare workers all around the country and it surprised me first of all that i had that kind of feedback with the level of of honesty and the level of pain that was mm. shared with me and the the, the <laughs> themes were quite clear and it's the themes that we unpack in the documentary hierarchy bullying discrimination sexism, uh, rising mental health, challenging, tough working conditions. You know, it's, it's, again, it's all things that if you are in the profession, you, you don't, nobody needs to explain these things to you. You Not get it from the first day that you're in the hospital environment that this is the way that things operate and this is the way that things have always operated. Um, so it was not surprising to me that these themes arose. What was surprising was the severity um, mm. at which they occurred, sometimes cross physical abuse, sexual abuse. Uh, but on the whole, it was, it was, it was more subtle sometimes with, with, with uh, discrimination uh, being at the forefront. And, and across the board, it was um, uh, on racial basis, on, 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 on gender basis, on disability basis. Um, it, was, it was really across the board. Um, and with, with that knowledge, you know, that I've got this base of, of stories and, and uh, feeling in the country, where, how our colleagues are feeling, myself included, mm. um, I, I felt the strong desire to, to put them in a medium that was palatable and put it in a medium that, that would uh, expand that message to as many people as possible. So I selected a few mm. and reached out to them personally. Um, explaining to them the purpose of the documentary and explaining to them that no personal identifiers would be used, that the point is not to name and shame anybody. The purpose isn't to to commit career suicide, which is a term that's often flung around, Mm. or, you know, to to have um, uh, litigation battles with, with heads of departments or anything. The purpose is to maturely have the discussion that look these things are happening we need to talk about them i don't want to focus on the specific incidents because then again it's a it's a carte blanche third degree you know (laughs) name and shame us first them it's more about okay what can we first of all acknowledge that there's a problem and then what can we actually do to 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 address it and and with that knowledge i was eventually successful after after much kind of convincing mm. the one the one participant in the documentary in fact uh, only chose to speak to us with the knowledge that she would be uh, blurred out and and that you wouldn't even be able to tell her face so completely anonymous um, was one of the requirements and I mean and in fact her story was 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 deeply personal to her because it was about mm. her own struggles with mental health but she she touched on so eloquently how her uh, struggles with mental health affected her uh, ability um, to interact with her, with her, with her colleagues, and ultimately affected her, her 
a desire, frankly, to be a, a, a medical doctor um, in the future. And she highlighted also how the systemic challenges of her working environment uh, played a crucial link in that, um, So, which, which I thought was quite telling. And mm-hmm. the fact that she, she, she still needed to, even though she was beyond the, the worst of it, felt the desire to, to completely anonymize her. I also felt that that was quite telling um, of things for her in her position and, her, and, 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 and with many others uh, um, as well. So true and, and so powerful. You know, I, as you tell these stories and share these anecdotes, I'm so grieved for, for healthcare workers as a whole um, because this profession means so much to the world, to our context, to our societies, but this is truly the reality of clinicians on a day-to-day basis. How then, um, and this may be with the work you do in public health, do you encourage this disgruntled, discouraged group of people to move towards starting to think of solutions? Because I also think um, as a profession and as professionals, we're almost so stuck in the reality of the pain of the dysfunction. We think we're powerless to become a part of the solutions. How, how do you bridge the gap between those two realities and those two tensions? This, this was always the first step, I think. Um, was to have the conversation and to get our foot in the door as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can't be the end, um, definitely not. But I don't want to take anything away from, from the power of storytelling. Um, right. Again, because, because first of all, it, it validates people that have similar experiences. And I've heard, you know, Good. the feedback has been, you know, when, when I watch your film, I immediately identify with the people in there. Um, as a mm. as a woman, as a person of color, as a pregnant lady, you know, mm. these are people that, um, even though it's not their story, they completely identify with. So, so for me, in, in itself, that that's a fantastic objective of Chi. But the next logical step is the question that you're raising: is, is you know, you know, what next? Mm. And and we need to have these these conversations with people that are. Um, in key positions to, to bring about the systemic change. 100%. And for far too long, um, it's been a conversation about how do we address an individual concern? And I'll reference a well-known case with um, Dr. Yumna Musa, mm-hmm. uh, which I, uh, I believe many people will be familiar with. It's a, um, it's a, it's a case that, that was um, widely publicized and, and yeah. still to this day polarized. Mm-hmm. But the problem with, with that case, I believe, is, is that um, if, if you want to start championing the deeper cause behind it, it cannot be on an individual basis because the, the, might, the might of who she was up against was, was quite clear and it became a very much a us and them. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the conversation should be, we know the stories, we know the anecdotes, we have started the conversation, now let's mm-hmm. move to a point of stop um, stop putting the emphasis on the individual and let's start to look at the, um, the higher structures. Uh, not, not so much focus on the downstream, but rather on the upstream. And so those are the conversations that, that we should be having. Um, on, a, on a practical level, what we've done in our capacity that we've, we've engaged with, with universities around the country to have this conversation in 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 their own context, each context will differ. And to have the conversation very much linked to a conversation of transformation. Mm-hmm. Many universities will have transformation committees, okay. um, yeah. for example. Um, so that, 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 those are the, the real practical things that can come out of it. And, and from those discussions and discussions about transformation, we have uh, hopefully policy documents that can be not just lip service, but can be implemented, monitored, evaluated, mm-hmm. um, and continuously updated um, with that mandatory training. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, a sense of accountability um, when things don't go right and, and accountability for, for people that, that uh, continue to, to, to not toe the line. Um, another clear channel of improvement is the grievance processes that was shared mm-hmm. with me numerous times is that people feel uh, underwhelmed with the, the 
the the grievance processes that's currently in place. Mm. Um, they don't they don't trust it. There's a lack of of transparency, mm. and often the situation is is that if you have a grievance with a particular senior, that senior would be the same senior that you may need to report the grievance report to. to for example, which yeah. which makes no sense. Mm-mm. And if if I may, I just quickly want to share one anecdote that I didn't share in yeah, the film. Sure. Um, that a medical officer from a small rural town shared with me. Uh, she had uh, a grievance with uh, a direct superior, which she articulated eloquently in an email with times and dates and X, Y, Z. These are the reasons why I have this grievance. Expecting the matter to be resolved amicably and professionally. And she followed the correct procedure. She referred it to the uh, correct um, uh, superior for these you know, grievance matters. Uh, but what resulted was the email being sent to the superior question and being printed out and read verbatim the next morning in a ward round in front of uh, staff and, 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 and patients. Uh, not going as far as naming the person, but clearly a mockery of the grievance process and, and ultimately uh-huh. saying something to the effect of, you know, whoever feels this way needs to come forward and, and have this conversation now. And, you know, where, where, does wow. that, where does that leave the person that has clearly aggrieved, uh, felt that they followed a very mature mm. course instead of, you know, lambasting the person on social media or, or to friends and, and family and wanted to have a mature discourse about change, just being, you know, humiliated, frankly, like that in public. Sure. And, and this is the, the level of, the level of discourse about grievance that we have and the, the general distrust that people have uh, in the grievance processes. So an, an anonymized channel that has clear recourse um, and that has a body that has oversight of this that's not directly related to the clinical matters, mm. that is a very practical solution that we have suggested as well. It's very good. Um, and, it, and it may be different per hospital or it may be you know centralized, whatever that may be, the specifics are not really that important, but what is important is that it's anonymized, that there's trust in the system and that there's accountability. 100%. That's such incredible work that you guys have done from you know, an anecdotal body of work to be able to make such powerful recommendations for all healthcare professionals to see. And I, and I think there's two things that you mentioned while you were sharing the story that I'd like to touch on. The first is you really, you managed to engage universities and maybe it's one question. A lot of what we experience is also learned. Culture is learned. So we find ourselves in environments where we're learning that this is how you teach and treat an intern. You're learning that this is how you treat a comserve. How can we empower ourselves as clinicians to shift paradigms so that we don't replicate culture while we wait for policies and structures to be in place so that we're not wounding as we are wounded? We are products of our environment. And the bully today was the person that was bullied when they were an intern. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. How do we shift that balance? It's twofold, I think. The first one is it's up to the individual, which is mm-hmm. the more difficult scenario for the individual to take a step back and say, well, how did I feel? And Nadia, uh, Dr. Ahmed in, in the film makes that point. She says, you know, I need to do, think mm-hmm. about how I felt as a registrar doing a 36 yeah. hour shift. Yeah. And if that is fair and humane on my, my um, subordinates now. So it, it is up to the individual is the first part, but the second part has to be where our focus is, um, mm. is mm. The, the higher up structures. Mm. Um, not so much focus on, on the lower runs is to say uh, culture can be uh, altered just as much as it was created. And if we have, stri- <laughs> That's a if, we have if, if we have strategic guidance and strategic concerted efforts to bring about a cultural shift with inspired leadership, it can occur. Um, mm. and, and we shouldn't just accept that, well, this is the way that it has been since, since Hippocrates, you know, we have to accept it. Not at all. Um, so it, it is really on, on, on two fronts and the personal battle is immediate. And yes, it's very difficult. Um, 
but the, the greater battle and the more important battle, in my opinion, is, is on an institutional level. 100%. I couldn't have said it better. And I also really want to commend you and your team for engaging this conversation in academia. That's an important place to start because many of us are trained in academic facilities. So to, to hear that there's potential or opportunity for these conversations to be happening then already is deeply encouraging. And so from a practical perspective, what does it look like then for the clinician who says, hey, I care about everything that Dr. Adil cares about. Um, what does it look like to be a part of the solution? Where would they start? They would start by taking stock, I think, um, of themselves, of the immediate mm. environment, um, them as as an as a inferior, them as a superior, um, looking at their behavior um, and seeing where the gaps are. Um, mm. And, and that, that kind of introspection, and, and my, I include myself in it. It's, right. You have to check yourself at any stage. Mm. How do you speak to a, a intern if you were a medical officer? How do you speak to a, a third-year medical student? You know, um, what is your relationship with them? What is your relationship with the janitor? Actually, as soon as you walk in the building, um, yes, you know, we we we're all human beings, and in mm. this kind of chip on the shoulder that 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 you, me, and <laughs> all of our colleagues sometimes right. have. You know, right. we we'd really need to question it. So, mm. so that would be my, my first advice. My second piece of advice is, is to just to be involved. There are great organizations out there. There's some great work being done by, by, by uh, uh, student bodies, um, you know, to, to be aware uh, of, of your rights as a, mm. as a healthcare professional in the working environment. Um, and again, especially on the student level, uh, the acknowledgement that mental health is on the rise uh, right. How to take care of yourself, how to uh, how to achieve work life balance. Um, mm. So there's a lot that can be done uh, in your immediate personal environment as well as in your immediate hospital environment. And then, like, I suppose the public health, global health perspective to take is well. Okay, how can I how can I bring about systemic change in my own context? Is right. it to 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 lobby those structures, the student body, the the, the health representatives, my, my trade union, my, the hospital that I work in, um, to have these changes, um, to contact bodies, uh, especially in, in academia, again, you know, like, like the Transformation Committee, um, and to just have your finger on the pulse of, of these changes that, that sometimes seem to bypass the medical world, you know? I mean, mm. it's, it's 2021, and we're still having these conversations where... Mm. Whereas in many other fields, you know, we've, we've progressed already that, that we don't see doctors and, and, and healthcare professionals as, as needing to ascribe to the same kind of human capital standards as they do in corporate, for example. Um, That's so good. So, so, so it's, it's multifaceted. And I think mm. there is a lot that the individual can do. I just have to say, though, I mean, I'm not naive. I've, I have done many, many long nights and, and I know that people are tired. And I know that, that people are, have a lot on their plate and they're studying and they're working and their family life and then they're doing 24-hour shifts and, and COVID mm. and it's much, it's, 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 it's too much. So I am aware that it's easier said than done. Um, and, and that's part of the problem, actually. You know, that's why these, these narratives persist. Um, but uh, until we, we, we do that introspection, irrespective of of what the challenges are, we're not going to actually see real no. lasting, sustainable change. I also think, and I'd like to add to what you're saying, I completely agree. We are never naive to the fact that being in the clinical context, is just different. But I also think uh, the needle is starting to change um, as it pertains to those healthcare professionals who want to make an impact clinically, but understand that they need to be in almost outside clinical structures to have that type of impact. You know, previously that was an opportunity to escape. Now more and more people are using it as an opportunity to feed back that resource of people who understand public health and policy, people who understand business strategy and structure to drive solutions in the space. So I think it also looks like us 
becoming more versatile with our craft and recognizing, you know, the mantra of the Becoming Healers podcast is that we are on a mission to become healers, clinicians who are clinically sound and operationally excellent and have the power to make a difference at the bedside and beyond. And it's exactly that, recognizing that our influence is definitely at the bedside with the challenges and the processes that exist. But we can also call on those colleagues who are not at the bedside, who have exposure to put their hand in, add their, add their contribution because they can move the needle in a way that you sometimes can't when you are working at the bedside. And that's also an important um, you know, place to start. And I wanna honor you for being you know, a corporate doctor who's seeing the social need and is still still fighting for the social justice, who hasn't forgotten the pain. Because it's easy to get comfortable and to say, I'm free. But what I've loved about what you've echoed about the work that you've done with Behind the Front Lines is it's not an individual problem. It's everybody's problem. Um, and it's important for us to gather so that we can solve it. So very well done for that. Thank you. And I mean, it's, it's a long journey. And mm. um, while I have energy and I'm so relatively young, I think, uh, I, I want to push it as far as I can, uh, but it's 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 also about inspiring those to come, um, and it it and and that has been really probably the most rewarding aspect of being involved in this work is young students, young interns contact me and saying you know well it's so inspiring the work that you've done and and I want mm-hmm. to contribute and you know I I felt that I was crazy I felt that I was the only one that's going through this. Um, and that that really has been so rewarding is to know that mm-hmm. on a personal level, on a real micro granular level, you can cause people to take stock, which is you know what we've been we've been calling for. And there was one other thing I just wanted to pick up before you move on was the the you mentioned of of um, you know the bedside and beyond and, and being this holistic doctor. I think um, and yourself included, I'm sure you've heard this thrown at you that I consider myself as a millennial doctor and <laughs> often sit in kind of a, in a kind of a tongue-in-cheek yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, oh, tongue- millennials. <laughs> yeah you millennials but I don't think so at all I think I wear that mm-hmm. with a with a badge of honor because we we uh, and the generations to come find it much easier to talk about these issues than right. the previous generation Right. Uh, we find it much easier to speak about our mental health. We find it much easier to have conversations about uh, being a holistic person, about work-life balance, uh, about articulating what our grievances are. And we should, we should wear that with pride. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it um, at all. And at the same time, again, not to create an us and them between millennials and non-millennials, but to say, if you don't have the capacity to have those conversations, or at least to initiate, I will right. I have the capacity. Right. So let's talk. Let's talk maturely. I'm mm. suffering from my own mental health. Are you? Mm. You know, you, nobody is immune. Let's 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 just be mature. Let's talk about it. Um, down with the stigma. Down with the hierarchy. You know, let's let's just talk. And I think it's it's really so important. And and again, inspiring, encouraging, and a, a great opportunity for you, me, and, and all the, the junior doctors out there to, right. to lead from the front with, with, this, with this narrative. And really, again, kudos, kudos to you and, and, and the work that you're doing. Um, I can you. return the compliment. It's, it's such a great narrative that you started, how to be a healer, how to mm. be someone that is holistic. And mm. I, I think it speaks to all the points that I've, I've been making about uh, being in the position to... to to talk about these things, to be articulate, and as well as having the courage to do so. So, I mean, fantastic work that you're doing, and, and, and long may I continue. Thank you. Yes, all the way. We're going all the way till the wheels fall off. I do <laughs> want to ask you a question that's going to sound probably silly and maybe sure. seemingly simple. Um, you keep emphasizing this idea of a mature conversation. For the person who wants to try, what does that yeah. look like? Um, it's, not, it's not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think you have to battle a few forces. You have you have to battle your your, your own feelings. Number one, um, your your own passions and your own uh, bias uh, mm-hmm. at times. Oof, uh, so it's really about trying to be on top of yourself. And from first hand, it's extremely difficult to do so. Then often, again, it's easier said than done to have these conversations with with higher structures um, mm. maturely. 
Um, often they don't want to listen. They don't give you a platform. They're dismissive. Mm-hmm. They call you millennial and, and idealistic. Uh, but I suppose the key is just to keep at it and to take solace from the fact that you're not alone out there, that there are many other people like you that, that are tired of, of working in a very hostile environment and know that there's a better way of doing things out there. Uh, and the more you, you're on top of your own emotions and your own biases, the better position you're in to have the conversation um, with others and to not have the adversarial role, uh, the adversarial mm. um, relationship, which, which, mm. which I found in my personal capacity to be, uh, that, that to be the most effective. Uh, because there was, there was a, a tendency and perhaps even a temptation when we initially started this to take that really strong adversarial role yeah. to say, well, okay, we're going to make it us and them. We're going to yeah. go undercover and we're going to record stories and we're going to expose Professor X at Hospital Y. Mm. Uh, sometimes that temptation is still there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when you hear stories in the media, uh, full disclosure. But you, you, you have to fight it because you may win one individual battle, but you won't win the war. Yeah. And and the more you come with the us and them, the more the more people go back into this these small corners and they have this kind of toxic rhetoric in their own smaller and smaller circles. And actually, you want to have the conversation openly. Mm. So it's it's tough. It's challenging. Uh, I think it can be done. And. Uh, I think there's a lot of support out there uh, to do so. I love that. And I think you highlight something that I, I think us millennials need to appreciate more, which is while for us, it is a dysfunctional system for the them that we're quoting that we don't want to make them, it was probably worse. And we have to at least try to assume that people did the best with what they could. So our opportunity as a generation is to reposition the healthcare sector in a way that hasn't been done before. But that doesn't mean there weren't people in other generations who didn't try. And I think once we appreciate that there are always pioneers and forerunners across generations, we'll come to find, like you find, that there are people who are willing to listen and hear and engage in the conversation. But I think something you said about us millennials is, you know, we're often called idealistic. I think the test to that idealistic nature is going to be how tenacious we are. Mm. Can we really stick to it to ensure that generations behind us don't have the same experience of the healthcare sector we worked in? Because we are not only going to identify, but we are going to fight to solve for. And I think that's our test. Hey, that's that's the thing we need to fight to see is can we actually go go the whole way? It's a great lesson that you learn from corporate. You plan, but you execute. <laughs> Yes. It's, it's not only about planning. No, it's not. You must. Every dream has a deadline. One of my yeah. one of the things that my boss always says. So, I think I think it's it's going to be powerful to see what we all come up with as we all fight in our separate corners to see this healthcare system evolve. My last question is: What mm. is your hope for South African healthcare? Uh, many things. Uh, yes, lay them out. Many, <laughs> many things. Equity has to be one of them. You know, mm. uh, overall, you want a health, health system that's, that's equitable. Yeah. Uh, it's no secret that South Africa has an inequitable socioeconomic status in general, but especially in healthcare. The mm. access to healthcare is so differential uh, across the country. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, with, with the national health insurance on the horizon, there's an opportunity to, yeah. to address many um, inequities in the health system and it's, it's something that I look forward to uh, barring the right discussions and, and the right reasoning and, and logic behind certain decisions that are made I think it's a it's a fantastic opportunity to to address many of the health disparities that are historic from apartheid and, and prior actually so my dream is is to address inequity it will probably be always be there but at least an attempt to address it and attempt to, to mm. improve access to, to, to many South Africans. I mean, narrowing down to, to healthcare worker level, which is essentially the topic for the day, and I guess the, the, the theme for your podcast is, is, is to have these, these healthcare workers that know their worth. Come that, on. That are 
champions of of their own lives, champions of yes. of the lives of others, um, that see past the trivialities of the toxic environment and the trivialities of of, of the higher hierarchical environment that we grew up in, that we were were raised in, and ultimately refocus on the people in the structures mm. to to uh, to empower those that are coming through um, to listen to those that are coming through and to ultimately just have uh, better relationships uh, with them and, and have more holistic lives overall. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and we spoke about it before about work-life balance and, and, and they're like, I don't know if there's anything else I should add there. <laughs> so many you other, can if you want to. <laughs> yeah. No, look, I think that those are the two important things. I mean, overall and kind of for the health system and, and then all for, for, for the health care worker. I absolutely, absolutely love it. How can people get in touch with you? How can they reach you if they want to connect with the work that you're doing? Um, yeah. Can you share a little bit about where we can find you, where they can find the Behind the Frontlines documentary and how they can get, get in touch? After the documentary, we started a Facebook group to uh, continue the narrative and mm. uh, to continue to share stories anonymously. And we've had a lot of traction so far. Mm. Um, and, and again, it's a recognition of the power of storytelling. So, so we've continued that conversation, again, de-identified stories, but again, to, to just encourage people to, to share and to speak and to identify with what's been said. Um, so that's, that's, that's the great platform. Um, and you can search pdf.documentary on Facebook, um, and our Facebook page and, and our link group will pop up. The easiest place, however, is to just go directly to our website, which is btfdocumentary.com, BTF as in behind the frontline. And there you will have all the links to, to view the actual documentary, the trailer, get to know some of the, 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 the interviewees, um, our press releases, um, everything will be there. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for such an insightful conversation. I know that people who are listening are going to be so encouraged to know that while the problems are there, the solutions are coming up and they begin with conversations, these hard, mature conversations. And we need to start to interrogate ourselves to be able to position ourselves to have the types of dialogue that will move the needle for transformation. And thank you again for the work that you're doing to make sure that it's happening. My absolute pleasure to join you. And and I welcome further discussions. If people want to get in contact, I, I love um, conversations like these to, to, yes. to progress the narrative and to, to just hear. And I, again, I especially love to hear from, from, from junior people. Um, mm. So please do reach out. Awesome. Oh man, and just like that, it is the end of another podcast. We've had the opportunity to glean from a peer who's chosen to show up in the way that is so unique. Come on, filmmaking doctors. I mean, isn't that absolutely incredible? I think what I'm loving most about this season is just being exposed to the possibilities that can exist when we choose to show up in the truth of who we are and when we choose to anchor ourselves to the hope that there is more for us in South African healthcare. And that's exactly what I engaged and what I experienced speaking to Dr. Adil Khan. We really spent quite a while unpacking the documentary behind the front line and I encourage you all to go and view it because no doubt we definitely deeply resonate with the issues of bullying, discrimination, inequity but it's also so empowering for us to know that there's a medium of instruction we can use to share these experiences with the people who are closest to us who may not be able to resonate with that. And I can't believe how much more true that is now in the time of COVID-19. Not necessarily the issues that are presented in the documentary, but the reality that we don't always have a voice. That is what I love and would like to reflect on first about what Dr. Adil has done through the Behind the Frontline documentary, giving a voice to the voiceless. I mean, when you think of yourself as a clinician, you don't necessarily think you're a voiceless person. But the issues that are presented in this documentary truly highlight how voiceless we can be made to feel. And no doubt we've all experienced it in some way, shape or form. But what I really enjoyed 
is his intentionality about making sure this is not just a piece of media that reaches the public, but an opportunity to engage really challenging and hard environments, to be an advocate in a way we haven't experienced before, to put the data and the research that we're challenged together in a medium of instruction that enables people to not only view it and acknowledge it, but to go back and ask themselves hard questions about how they replicate those types of environments in themselves. Let me tell you, that point hit me hard. When he told us to look at ourselves and to question how we treat interns or our subordinates at the levels we are at, I think that's deeply powerful because it's so easy for us to assume that because you sit under the banner of junior doctor, you are not necessarily the one causing the pain. I know we spent a long time on the podcast exposing you to the people who will give you the hope, but today we met someone who's challenging us to look at ourselves and see how are we replicating these environments and making it more difficult for people to show up in the spaces. And I truly hope that if you find yourself inspecting yourself and seeing that there are things to change, that you would have the courage to do exactly that. One of the things I also deeply enjoyed about this conversation with Dr. Adil is really speaking to our hope for South African healthcare and the opportunity we have to show up for that hope even right now. And that's what he has done. I really enjoyed his thoughts on equity and what it looks like for us to present a more equitable healthcare system. But more importantly, he said, really encouraging us as a group of clinicians to live well and to have a better quality of life. And I know that that is our prayer. And that the circumstances that we face today, particularly with the COVID-19 pandemic, don't make that easy. But that's why I want to segue into our closing piece for the week, which is really a conversation about hope. So as you know, at the end of each podcast, I asked my guests, what is your hope for South African healthcare? And I often highlight that it's my favorite question. Well, this past week, I had a meeting with the mentee cohort at Yang and D, and one of the mentees asked me, what is your hope for South African healthcare? And I'll share that with you sometime. <laughs> Have to keep you listening. But the point is, while I was unpacking that hope, I also had to realize that there are places in my life where I don't carry the same vigor and passion about hope. And maybe for you, it's this. It's showing up every day as a doctor and having to be a clinician in South African healthcare today. Maybe there are areas in your life where you carry hope with ease. Maybe it's in parenting or being a spouse or being a girlfriend um, or being a sibling or any other roles or business owner or any other roles you need to show up in your life. You just feel more confident and you feel like it's easier to carry hope because the environment is conducive for hope. But many times in life, there are also places where we don't necessarily know how to carry out hope well. And I'm learning and finding that for those areas of my life, I need to be able to acknowledge how the hopelessness showed up. For many of you, it's actually the issues that Dr. Adil Khan addressed in this podcast. Somebody bullied you. Somebody discriminated you. Somebody made you recognize that this was no longer a safe place for you. When I started this organization, my hope was that clinicians would see that no dysfunction is eternal. And it's these moments and these opportunities where we get to sit with ourselves and unpack our thoughts, where we get to see how it all happened. And that's my encouragement for you today, is to go to the places and the areas in your life, even if it isn't South African healthcare, but particularly for those of you who are struggling with having hope for South African healthcare, I encourage you to first ask yourself, how the seed or the idea of hopelessness found its way to you. What was that event? How did it play out? And what did it do for your hope? Then once you know and you've been able to identify to yourself where the moment you lost hope was, I encourage you to wonder and ask yourself, what are the narratives you chose to hold onto because that hopelessness presented itself to you? Which of them can you release yourselves from? Maybe for some of you, it's that there are no seniors who would ever see you the way you desire to be seen. So it's safer for you to plan an exit. How can you retell that story so that you are not the powerless victim, but rather the empowered clinician who chose 
to make sure that the experience they had doesn't replicate itself in their lives, but doesn't replicate itself as they engage other peers. And once you've identified those narratives that are keeping you aligned to that hopelessness, I want to challenge you to dare to hope. I want you to write down something short, something powerful, something strong that is a counter to that hopelessness you've agreed is your consistent truth in South African healthcare or in your life at large. Because we can live life in hope and we can live to see our hopes fulfilled. That's really my hope for South African healthcare. (laughs) And I hope that that becomes yours too. That you would constantly be on a journey to finding your truth and fighting to live it. And that's how we're going to close this podcast this week. And my prayer for us this week is for hope. I definitely need some hope and I'm sure many of you do too. So, Great God that you are. Thank you so much for the opportunity to meet together here again. Thank you for putting people in our lives, in our stories, in our environments that can remind us what it looks like to hope and to hope well. I pray and I ask that every hope wound and every area of hopelessness that exists on the inside of us, you would come to heal and restore. For those who've lost hope and faith in the healthcare system, who've lost hope and faith in themselves, who have another area of life where they're wrestling with their hope, would you breathe life on it? Would you give us the tools and the strategies and the ability to reframe our narratives so we can hold on to the truth of hope and experience its power in our lives? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for spending time on the podcast. I love you and I mean it. Have an incredible week. This podcast is proudly brought to you by YoungMD. If you wish to be the official sponsor or partner of the Becoming Healers podcast, kindly visit our website at www.youngmd.co.za to find out how you can get in touch.